that music. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. Kat, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Look at this, the high octane thermos, yeah, ready to go. Yeah, big fancy thermos. Fancy and, coffee. Yeah, that keeps it nice and hot for that Arctic trip you're going to take. Right? <laughs> oh, never again. After living in Florida, nothing below, what, 50 degrees? <laughs> Excited about the show we're going to do today. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Wonderful guests coming on here. Yeah, from a, an amazing line of musicians. Yes, yes. One that we actually uh, had talked to before out of that family line. You ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. Ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can also find all of our episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or our newest website, pftatalkshow.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Okay, everybody, welcome back. And just some music there to kind of set the mood. Music that our guest is very familiar with. <laughs> and speaking of which, Kat, why don't you do the introduction? Today we have a special guest here, Michelle Kazanowski. She's a music and choir teacher at Port Charlotte High School in Port Charlotte, Florida. And so much more. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, welcome to the show. It's good to yeah. see you again. Thank you. Good to see you. How are you doing today, Michelle? I'm doing great, thanks. It's amazing to have you here. I'm just so excited to learn more about your background. We have somewhat, but there's always more to the story. Right. So, okay, so since I dropped the hint earlier, George Mancini is your father. Yes, he is. But yes, so I guess you all have had a uh, lifetime of adventures together. <laughs> <laughs> and as we all know, George Mancini is an incredible, wonderful storyteller and he did so when we had him on the show here last year he recounted quite a few adventures of you all growing up together in that family so now it's your turn why don't you share your memories because you all traveled extensively I've gone all over the world with my singing with my dad and things you know I think the first time I went to to Korea <laughs> if you know my father then you should understand this my father just didn't want to go. He said, I don't feel like going. He goes, I'm going to send you instead. I said, but dad, they were expecting you. He goes, that's okay. I don't care. <laughs> and I went to Korea and I played, you know, at the electronic show. <laughs> and then the next time I sang with him. But yeah, so it's it's been interesting. It was interesting growing up in the household I grew up. Whereas other people would, um, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, would have family time. I, we didn't, first of all, we didn't have lessons. We had marathons. We had, <laughs> my father was lucky if he got one of us in on a Sunday and, and another one in on a Monday, and he'd squeeze the other one in somewhere. Um, we had all-day lessons that, that were interesting, and then we'd have jam sessions. And I, and I have to just ask you for a moment, Michelle. Growing up and you know, have, coming from this whole legacy of musicians, I guess that just felt natural to you. Did you feel like, well, this is kind of normal family? They, and it's just something that you all really enjoyed. It was just you were kind of born with it, because we kind of spoke about that off the show. The art form chooses you. Yes. And that's how you felt growing up. It was just such a joy. So you're, you're doing something at one time, but it's also really quality family time. Well, yeah. yeah. And growing up in, in a household where somebody was always true to who they were, 
that they mm. didn't negotiate. And when I say that, I mean, everybody, you, you make deals throughout your life. Okay, right. well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But I never saw him do that thing where he felt that, or you felt like he sold out. It was always going to be something mm. with music. And he was always a genius. His expectations for us were very high. It wasn't, right. well, you're a musician, you don't have to get good grades. Oh, no. Oh no, I got to see once and, and that was not a very pleasant experience. <laughs> so uh, I tried not to get bad grades. Um, you know, when you've spoken to my dad, so you know mm -hmm. how intelligent yeah, he is. Yes, yeah. and he's yeah. very much into the critical thinking process. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Well, he feels that the, the arts only help with that. And that's part of why he's the kind of educator that he is, you know, which I only tried to be <laughs> but that he takes all of that it's the same thing uh, and what you do in your music lessons many times is a is a microcosm of what you do in the rest of your life mm -hmm. the way you approach it right so, yeah right and we had a discussion uh, a little bit before the show about this michelle what is your father's philosophy on becoming being a musician and his standing on you and your siblings becoming musicians following him in his legacy oh my father said straight up he would never convince any of his children to be musicians first of all and secondly he said musicians are born not made the craft is made you have to study the craft mm -hmm. but that's something that if you're a musician you don't have a choice it, it just is what you are once you understand that that helps you get through everything else because you carry that part with you, what it is you do. Exactly, and, and we identify that as being visual artists. You know, I can't not do that thing. I may be capable, and you may be capable Dave, of doing anything else in life, but we just can't compromise that. And I really like the, the philosophy um, your dad had about education and how the arts actually supports it. Because you and I, Dave, had this discussion where they've actually done studies where kids that had more of an art background through their education scored higher on the SATs. Well, they but, did. Yeah. They yeah. did. They've done many studies. There was a Midwestern school district that put their elementary students on piano, especially because mm -hmm. it does a lot with spatial relationships and the right brain, left brain stuff. And, exactly. And the whole thing. There was a young man, the one that played our cabarets, who was one of my former students, drummer, who was highly dyslexic. He did not read until he was in eighth grade and that was only because he played clarinet. Huh. Wonderful. And he had to train his brain, because your brain is, is amazing and you can use it, it to adapt and mm -hmm. compensate, but sometimes the techniques we use are very stick in the mud. So for him, it was when he trained his brain how to read music on a page that he was then able to read Wow, just another great example of how art makes the world a better place. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Janet Watermeyer, Executive Director of the Visual Arts Center, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Okay, we are back. We want to thank Janet Watermeyer, the Executive Director, here at the Visual Arts Center for that spot. Before the break, Michelle, we were talking about how art can help transform and help people, more particularly the fact that you had a student there that was quite dyslexic and had learned to read by being able to learn to play the clarinet and read music. Right, oh, right. Love yeah. to hear that. 
I think when when you're in any art form, but especially music, you're really training that situational awareness. Mm. You know, analytical thinking is just one little facet right. of you know thinking or intelligence, but it, to enhance it, it really it, it's so dimensional music, and I think even more so than visual arts, really. And then the way you feel into well, it. Well, it can be, of course, because music can encompass so many things. Right. So when you're dealing with jazz music and you're dealing with all this improvisation, but it's not like when you're a little kid and you're making up a solo, you're just doing something because it feels good. You have no knowledge to back that up. Mm -hmm. So it sounds good to you and maybe to your parents, <laughs> but not to anyone else. And you, you kind of need to have an understanding to go farther with that. Mm -hmm. But then you have classical music, which is written on the page, on the page. You still have to have an, a historical perspective because there is a certain amount of interpretation that has to be mm. correct at that point. So, yeah, it really does bring many things. And, of course, it, it's physical. It's extremely physical. Yes. Okay, so, Michelle, let's move along. Let's talk about your history, your background. You are a teacher. Was that your major? I, I went to college for performance. And when I first got out of school, I, I was engaged to a man with a regular job. And he said, okay. but, but can't you, like, work during the day? You know, you're working at night all the time. <laughs> so let me try it. And I had never wanted to be a teacher. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Um, because of the old teachers, you know, te if you're teaching, you can't do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I heard. Those people that teach, that they're, they're not really good at what this. So I was like, no, no, I'm not going to. So I tried this job as, as in a preschool where I was literally sweeping up and making art projects. By the way, I'm horrible with art, but amazingly creative. <laughs> because I have absolutely no set, you know, well, it has to be this way. So I'm just right. like, it looks good to me. If you want your duck to be, you know, pea green, why not? That's what I said. <laughs> so I was, I was great with the students. I love it. Um, and I, they had me, like, playing, you know, Twinkle Twinkle. And then they heard me playing, and they're like, you can play. That's what I said. People say that and they don't. So they had me teach yeah. in preschool. Um, and then they wound up having a school attached to them up till eighth grade. And so I went into teaching with, <laughs> with no background on how to do lesson plans or how to uh, okay. run a classroom or mm -hmm. any of those things. And my preschoolers, though, were the funniest. I loved two and three-year-olds. They have no expectations, no boundaries on themselves. And if they like you, and you'd come into my room, because if you ever see, I'm not quite my father, but when I play, you know, and I'm not trying to move, I just, you move with the music, and you right. come into my room, mm -hmm. and you see these little kids sitting cross-legged on the floor, going like this, <laughs> looking like there's something seriously Swear wrong with them. The but they were. Yeah, I had them yeah. singing Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> <laughs> now, Michelle, where was this when you started teaching? Uh, well, I started teaching on Long Island at a private school. Yeah, I was in the, within the Three Village School District. I had a scholarship to Berkeley College of Music, but I completed education down at Dowling uh, College mm -hmm. on Long Island, down at Oakdale. Yeah. And then I got this job in this private school, and I, I actually had sold pianos prior to that, by the way. Hated it. I'm not very good in sales. <laughs> if I think you should have something, why am I going to make money off of the fact that you need a piano? It's very difficult. <laughs> so I started teaching at that place, and then I went back for my master's in music education, and I went okay. to uh, the CW Post Long Island University mm -hmm. in Greenville. Yeah. So I did that, 
And then I stayed connected with them somewhat. I did some theater places on Long Island, but I also was involved with a director I worked with at one of the groups called Kids for Kids was directing something up at Long Island University, and they had Jason Alexander. What? Wow. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And you mean Jason Alexander, the, uh, the actor, yeah. singer, most notably famous for uh, his role in Seinfeld? Yeah. George? Yeah. What, what was he doing there? Um, came in to work with the kids. Okay. He was supposed to work with them for maybe 45 minutes, like a master class. Wow. So... How was it? How did he do with the kids? He had each kid, there were like 15 kids, get up there and sing. And he completely helped shape them and, the, and really told it like it was, like what they're going to look for, what you need to do, how you have to stand out. You know, right. don't do your audition yeah. just because of this reason. There has to be more of an intent. And I think it was, okay. it was really interesting. That's great. Yeah. Wow, was cool. really hands-on. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how long did you teach up there? Oh, shoot, I'm trying to remember when I started teaching. So, I guess all total, I'll say, I'll explain why in a second, mm, close to nine years, but that was off and on because I also had two children. <laughs> so, uh, funny part though, because I was in with the younger kids still at that point when I had my son, who was definitely a mama's boy. He's been in the army now. He's 6'1", and he's very tough, but he was a mama's boy. Though. But they wanted me back because the kids... Little kids love music. <laughs> yeah. So they called me and I said, well, you know, but I have the baby. And they said, we'll watch him while you go into classes. And they did. They would take Great. care of him while I did the music. Oh, wow. wow. Classes. <laughs> That's it was fantastic. very funny. So, yeah. Okay, so you're teaching up there, Michelle. But some point in time, you made it to Florida. Yeah. Long Island is great. New York is great. But um, financially, at a point, I was now a single mom with three children and I didn't have family up there and it was very difficult. My parents had been trying to get me to move to the Dominican Republic at one point and I kind of said, no, <laughs> that's a big no, but Florida was something that was somewhat accessible and I came down. Teaching at the high school? They originally hired me for one of the elementary schools. Oh, okay. They wanted to hire me for a drama in the, the high school and I said, no, I'm a music teacher but they had had somebody at the time. But before I actually started teaching there, they got me for the choir position at the high school at Port Charlotte. So, yeah. And how long have you been doing that? Shoot, that's since 1998. Okay. Oh, and it's wow. one of those yeah. things that I'll have to be honest with you and tell you that that was more accidental than purposeful. Because <laughs> even the, the when I was up in New York doing my thing, it was, you know, I did part-time with the kids. I taught, I think, in three different districts I'm not always good with bureaucracies. I think any artist I, has yep. that issue. Mm -hmm. You try, and you try to find the ones that know enough to let you do what you need to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I came down to Florida, and I guess it's not a bad thing because um, Steve Dionisio, who is the superintendent now of Charlotte County Schools, was my principal for most of those years. Gary Bernardo was originally, who was an art person, oh, okay. a visual <laughs> art person. And then Steve, who was not an art person at all, he will tell you he was a jock, but he liked, he saw what I did with the students. You know, I think schools many times, unfortunately, are set up for a particular type of student. Right. You know? Yeah. And I was that because that's from my dad. I was, I could live in that world and mm -hmm. the schools can fail the students. So there's the students that disconnect and, right. you know, yeah. we can't lose that population. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So high school students. 
you're teaching that in the choir and the music. So what is it you really press upon those students when they come in there? That life is too short to give anything less than your best. And that your best is what you say your best is. It doesn't have to be what I say or what somebody else is. So if you know you gave your best, okay. It doesn't matter if you don't like the teacher, if you don't like the class, if you don't like the whatever. I could sit there and rationalize from now till forever on the reasons why those are bad, wrong, doesn't work. You have to understand that if you need that class and you want to graduate, you have to find a way to do it. If that means making noise and squeaking appropriately at squeaky wheel, I teach them a lot of expressions. <laughs> then you say, I need help. And you keep saying you need in my music class. So if somebody's not doing well in math, mm -hmm. I've set them up for somebody doing well in math and told them, you go over there and you can spend 15 minutes a day working on your math. <laughs> That's great. So, you That's, know, yeah. if organization's not your thing, I set them up with the most fastidious person in the class and they <laughs> literally dump it out and they put the stuff back together and there it goes. If I wanted to be in a performing arts school, I would be. I know plenty of people who teach at Bucker. I know plenty of people that teach at Cypress Hill. And I love those schools. But I don't want to teach there. I want to be teaching in a regular school with students that I feel like I can make a difference in their lives with. Everybody listens to music. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. So, and it's a commonality. It's a way that people can talk to each other without saying mm -hmm. any words. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I feel the same way. And I love that. There's something that drew you to to teach. It really feels like a calling, a service. Yeah. And I feel the same way. Just reaching out to the general public more mm -hmm. and creating that connection. And I feel a lot more fulfilled. And, I'm, and that's what seems to come across from you. It's just in that way it chooses you because it fulfills you and you feel your purpose through that. Right. I mean, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong. The music end of it, uh, we had talked about, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to experience a lot of different people. I had played mm -hmm. with uh, one of the orchestras that did a lot of the touring companies down here. And I was able to play for Bernadette Peters, who is, oh. it was so mm. hard for me not to go all fangirl on her. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess it would look really bad if I asked for some kind of a, an autograph, right? But, but I love Bernadette. So um, I played for her. I played like for the Irish tenors. And, mm. and I play with people that are just, you know, at this level, at the highest level, uh, Ben Vereen, who I played for. Yes. Um, mm. And in fact, they, he, they, his manager had wanted to know if I was available to play for him up in New York. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But the bigger one, biggest one was I was teaching. So I'm not what I classify as nice. Hopefully I'm professional, but I'm not nice, especially with those people that are supposed to be my peers. I and mean, we get in and my expectation is, I hope Isaac didn't say anything bad about me. I hope he enjoyed his experience, but it's like, I don't. Isaac Mingus. Yes. <laughs> yes. I... He had nothing but good things to say about you. And if he didn't, I wouldn't tell you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Michelle, next question. You and your family have worked with a lot of top names in, in the music industry all over the world. Can you give us just a little bit of insight of, of what that's like, the atmosphere is like, what uh, you know, expectations they have uh, for you, you have for them? My expectation is we're right. all professionals. I don't care whether you're half my age and the other person's twice my age. We're all professionals. We have a, mm -hmm. something we bring to the table and I don't care if you have to practice it or you can sight read it. 
my expectation is that it's going to be the best that it could possibly be. Okay, so what about your students? What do you tell them as, as far as expectations? Well, I always say I, there's this expression, it's probably not a good expression, but I always say it to my students constantly. And in fact, then when they say it, they're like, oh, you used to say this, I remember now, I know what you mean. Because I always say, <laughs> I hate people. <laughs> but I tell the kids, first of all, you're not people. <laughs> I said, you are people in training, so you're not people yet. And then and then I couch it in terms of the Charlie Brown, where it's hum I love humanity, it's people I hate. <laughs> so that's kind of how, you know, it's the artist's responsibility to, to better the human condition, so you do right. it for humanity, and yet most people, you know, you don't yeah. want to talk to. And I get that. <laughs> so says my co-host on the talk show. <laughs> You know, that reminds me. I remember something that, that Isaac had mentioned about you in that interview. You have to be ready to go because she expects you to be ready to go. <laughs> yes. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. So, Kat, now we got the other side of that story. Isaac was telling the truth. <laughs> exactly. I love it when it gets still been like that. <laughs> yes. You know, Michelle, can we just back up? Sure. Bernadette Peters. Yeah. I mean, what was it like? Well, first of all, she's like a size zero, okay? I don't, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. She really is. And she does that one thing. And she is just the consummate professional. Um, and the man that, talk about small world, how small the world is. So the man that played piano for her, um, Marvin, and I'm blanking on the name, but he also wrote a musical that I did then last year <laughs> called Ruthless. But Marvin Laird. Um, he was, I mean, he knew what she wanted. He, she just... She knew, and there was no discussion, and she wasn't rude, and she was very polite. Um, she wasn't like, I'm going to be your buddies. Um, she just, and actually, her piano director, who had been with her for long, so he conducted most of the times. He played for some of the times, and I played for the rest. Mm -hmm. um, he had been with her long enough that he knew exactly how she wanted it, and he'd stop, and he'd fix it. He was, they were just that professional. They knew what they wanted. They were able to explain it, and they rehearsed it until you got it right. Um, and when you are a professional, you appreciate that. The ones you can play for are the ones that are, don't really know what they want, have no idea right. what they're asking. They can't really explain it, and when they do, it's not really a, a full explanation anyway. But Bernadette knew exactly what she wanted and was able to communicate that to us, and it was wonderful. Actually, the funny part, it was we opened Lynn University, the Performing Arts Center over there. Mm -hmm. um, Bernadette came down for that. I'm playing piano for her, and they had this one light that was just for the grand piano. And I had already told the conductor a couple of times, they kept, they would not turn on the light. They would, when they went all black, because many times they have things all black, right, yeah, but they, they wouldn't turn on the light for me, and I'm trying to play in the black. So he had yelled at them, but then he sat down, and he played, and they did it to him. Oh, and you have never heard somebody <laughs> snap like a New Yorker. He just went off on these people. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> he turned around and he said, see, I got him. <laughs> and Bernadette was just amazing. And like I said, and she wore this gorgeous gown. She did fever and she did mm -hmm. the whole thing with the snaps. And she climbs on top of the grand piano and lays across it. <laughs> and we did, we did play one of her songs, which she wrote in honor of her dog. That was a little interesting, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's just amazing, amazing. And what I find amazing is the fact that you're sticking to the story that you didn't go fangirl on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. And Michelle, you're going to appreciate this one. 
My name is Isaac Mingus. I'm a bassist for the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra under Maestro Raffaele Ponti, and I thoroughly enjoy Partnership for the Arts talk show. <laughs> Okay, so obviously, yes, that was Isaac Mingus, someone we should all be familiar with if you've been following the show. Kat and I had a chance to sound and talk to him a little while ago. And of course, Michelle, he has performed with you and your father, George Mancini. We'll get a chance to talk about that, probably in part two, since we're kind of really running out of time here uh, for part one. But Michelle, you had mentioned a few of the other performers that you had had a chance to work with. You want to name uh, any other favorites? Well, like Ben, mm-hmm. Ben Vereen, yeah. yeah. So Ben. So I mean, those were the, those were some of the most most famous ones. Okay, and I know there was a couple of students that you wanted to give a shout out to here before we wrap up. My students who I shared with my dad, and like one of them, I said worked on Hamilton. Uh, Daniel okay. Sepik was involved in the in the production. He was the rehearsal pianist. His name is in the program. There's only three musicians, Alex Lackamore, who is the orchestrator and the direct, you know, conductor. And then um, you have Daniel as a rehearsal pianist and <laughs> and James Davin, who played with the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Um, you know, so, so yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool when you see them. Right. You know, growing up. I had an alumni cabaret the other day during homecoming weekend at, at Port Charlotte. And I had kids going back to 2001. Wow. That came and sang um, for each other. And it was just, it was neat. I think yeah. that's what I like about this area um, that's different. I, in square footage, I would tell you that it was probably smaller on Long Island. Okay. But I could go into a store and nobody knew who I was. Yeah, you know. Right. And mm-hmm. down here, everybody knows who you are. Which could be good or bad. <laughs> tell my husband you'll never be able to cheat on me because somebody's gonna tell you. <laughs> but also, I mean that that's one of the things with the small town. Right. To be positive mm-hmm. as you form these interactions with people. I agree. Okay. Well, ladies, we are out of time, so we're going to wrap up part one here. Michelle, again, thank you for taking the time to come on the show, and we'll be back to do part two of our interview. But thank you both very much for having me. Really well, thank you, Michelle. It. This has been wonderful. Indeed, it has. Okay, so with that, Kat, I'm going to say you have a great day. You have a great day too, Dave. And we'll catch up on part two. So everyone, thank you for listening to Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. And we're going to wrap up end with the soundtrack we've been listening to, all of the show here, George Mancini. And then a little special track for you at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Have a blessed day. This is Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Thanks for joining us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can find this and other episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or our newest website, pftatalkshow.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Music and choir teacher at Port Charlotte High School in Punta Gorda, Florida? (laughs) Port Charlotte. Port Port Charlotte, Florida. (laughs) Right. We need a coffee break.